Thank you for your beautiful music and your beautiful hearts. They're both beautiful, so thank you. I'm Tom Nelson. Welcome to uh, Christ Community's Leewood Campus. This is the second service, in case you're wondering. Uh, I know it's kind of a strange morning, <laughs> but we're really glad you're here. And uh, life has a way, you know, of uh, sort of filling our minds and hearts with the cobwebs of confusion and complacency. We all have a need for a pep talk now and then, and... Uh, I just felt like the internet sensation, kid president, needed to give us a pep talk this morning. Watch. We all need pep talk. <clears throat> the world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, forts, and glass. My parts broke. Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if they really weren't too bad? I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Well, Michael Jordan have quit. Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there! I don't know everything, I'm just a kid. But I do know this. Does everybody do to give the world a reason to dance? So get to it. Kid President, you're awesome. That's what I think. Wow. Well, we were made for awesome. And the question is, will we choose the path to awesome? This is the question in our big story that Moses is asking a new generation as they sit at the back door of the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, as we come to the last part of Deuteronomy. And it's a question that Moses will ask a new generation which path will they choose? We all have choices to make, and the chosen people have a choice to make. If you have a Bible with you this morning, which I hope you bring in whatever form, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30 in the Old Testament, that good Old Testament. And Moses gives a new generation a pep talk. The pep talk has a threefold progression. 
as it follows this contrast in 27, 28, 29 chapters of two paths of life and death. And as Moses turns the corner, he gets to the final stretch in his sermon in Deuteronomy. As he enters chapter 30, he tells us that God desires to flourish, and he gives us his threefold pep talk. The threefold pep talk emerges beginning in verse 15 and works its way to the end of the chapter. And this is how it flows. And if you take notes mentally or on paper or on electronic form, this is the progression of this text. Verse 15, Moses will say right away, there is a fork in the road. Then following 15, 16 through 18, he says, you have a clear choice to make. Then as he breaks the tape of the finished line of his sermon, he says, so choose rightly, verses 19 through 20. So this is where we're going. You with me? We're heading first, a fork in the road, a choice to make, and then choose rightly. Look at me first at verse 15, if you would. Moses begins this text by saying, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. It's important, I think, to realize that Moses understands that life faces all of us with very important choices, that all of us have to make choice, that there is a fork in the road that has the consequences of either possibilities or perils. Now, one thing about the empty nest, which I'm in now, my bride Liz and I have new opportunities to explore things. And we've been doing something this winter we have never done before. And that is, we have taken a personal safety class. You ever taken one of those? It's very interesting. The instructor tells us all kinds of fun things. But one of the things I have gathered the most from this class is what safety experts call situational awareness. Kind of interesting. And what it means is that in any context, that our eyes are aware, alert to all that's around us perils and possibilities. But what Moses is saying as he launches this text is not just situational awareness. This is not just the sea in that first word. The whole text turns the corner around this little verb, sea. In the Hebrew text, it is a strong impassioned plea for us not just to have situational awareness through human eyesight, but to have spiritual awareness through spiritual eyes. To see the world through spiritual reality in that great division of the path of life and death. And he wants a new generation to make the right choice. That's the idea. So verse 15, if you are taking notes or in your mind, what verse 15 is in its imperative structure is this is Moses' 9-11 call. It's a matter of life and death. Now, notice what he says in this 9-11 call, verses 16 through 18. He says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by, notice, walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Now, this text pivots on this contrast. Notice, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear. So if you have a different translation, say obey. It's the same idea, hear and obey. But are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will perish. 
Surely you will perish. You will not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess it. If we enter back into God's big story, we know that God's chosen people now have a choice to make. Moses says, what will it be, guys and gals and people? And what he does, he paints a contrasting picture, as he often does literarily. Verse 16 is an inviting picture of life. It's a picture of wholehearted obedience and love of God. And the word love of God there is an affectionate, tender love. It's not just a love of duty. But this affection finds its connection in willful obedience to God's revealed word. So Moses wants them to remember that God's primary love language is obedience to his word, period. Now notice the contrast in verse 17. It's a contrasting picture. Here, Moses presses in further, as he has already done in 27, 28, and 29 chapters, the path of death. It is a picture of languishing outside of the design of God. Not flourishing, but languishing. And you will notice that the emphasis is being seduced. This is what the idea in your English text, this idea of drawn away, you say it in your English? The Hebrew idea has being enticed or seduced away. That the path to death is not a problem of intellectualism, it's a problem of misplaced desire. It is being enticed away in your heart. Because we ask the question, why would anyone choose death? <laughs> you know, it's like if there's two paths, one's life, one's death, good grief, that's a no-brainer, right? But it's not just about the brain, it's about the heart and the desires of the heart. This is the picture. So Moses is saying, watch your heart here. Now we often speak about God's substitutes at Christ's community. The text speaks of that. Moses will emphasize idols of the heart. But the emphasis in this idea of drawn away is more than just idols of the heart. It is something we often miss. It is what King Solomon in his wisdom said, chasing after wind. It is a sense of the mirages of the heart. He wants a new generation who hasn't lived real long to know that there are dangerous mirages that our hearts pursue that lead us down the path to death. Now, when I was a kid, one of the things I loved to do is kind of a big thing is our county fair. I grew up again in rural Minnesota, small town kid, and we had a county fair. It was a big thing to go to, and I remember as a little kid going to the fair and for the first time seeing cotton candy. I mean, from little eyes, you know, it's like, it's on the stick and there's this big bunch of candy. I thought, this is amazing. You know, I'm just going to eat on this all day. So I get this cotton candy, and I bug my mom, you know, until she, can't, she has to relent. You know what that's like, right? Uh, and I bite into it. It was sugary sweet, but it all just sort of, there was nothing really there. And this is the picture of this Hebrew idea. It is something that it promises a lot. We pursue it. It attaches it to our heart. We grab it. We bite it. We, and it's nothing there. It's a mirage. It promises a lot. It's sugary sweet at least at first taste, but then there's nothing. So Moses is challenging a new generation and us with this question, what are the mirages that entice your heart way, that lead you down the path of death? What are the mirages that your heart is pursuing? It can be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It can be an ideology 
that you embrace. It can be a career you sacrifice for. Be a material comfort you covet. It can be the applause of the crowd. Ooh. See, the point of a mirage of the heart that draw us away to the path of death is we chase them and we chase them with our heart and once we get near them, nothing. They betray us. They promise so much but deliver so little. They promise us freedom, happiness. And they lead us to betrayal and bondage and despair. Death. This is the picture. In fact, Moses has already given us this image. If you look back, and you can do it later on today, chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, just a little bit back, verse 48, Moses has already told them the dire consequences of disobedience to God's revealed holy word, his holy scriptures, and that is you will enter into a, what he calls a yoke of iron. That's what he says. That's what the text says, verse 48, chapter 28. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. If you've read much of the New Testament, you know, or been around Christ's community, you know that this is a vivid, a vivid contrast to Jesus' yoke. The yoke of creation rests, the path of life. Here's the path of death. And Moses says to a new generation, and he says to us, there's a fork in the road. We have a choice to make. Will we choose the path to awesome, the path to life, or the path to destruction and death. Now, if you are older here, I know there's some of us that have seen a lot of sunrises and sunsets. Can I chat with you just a moment? And sometimes I find when people have been around a while, they look at their life and they have a lot of regrets. They think there's not much left. Remind me of the poet Ed Sisman. I love this poem because it captures so much of my own reflections. This is what he said. Men past 40 get up nights. Look out at the city lights and wonder where they have made the wrong turn. Why life is so, so long. That's a Thoreauian quiet desperation, isn't it? And many of us who have been around a while find ourselves there this morning. You may have convinced yourself it's too late for you that the years of the locust are past. There's not much left. You made lots of wrong turns. But notice what God's word says. Today, choose. It's today. It's not about the past. It's what path will you choose today? Will you choose life or death? Maybe you're a student here this morning or a young adult. You're wrestling with some big life questions. The moral boundaries that you are going to honor. Person, persons you're going to date or marry, how you spend your time. And you may be thinking to yourself when you came here, you know, I'm pretty young now. And you know, I'm just going to do my own thing for a while. And then later on, I'm going to kind of get serious about this thing called God. 
I don't know if you watched some of the footage of the J.J. restaurant fire in, in the plaza in Kansas City not long ago. It was just, I, I caught it live. It was just all over the place. And the tragedy of that fire, we found out later that M- Megan Kramer died. Now, I don't know. I didn't know Megan. I can't imagine her family. I can't imagine what it was like for Megan to get up that morning and go to work, not imagining, at least I can't imagine, she thought this was her last day. It is often said that death and taxes are the only two certain things in life, but what is not said is we know when taxes are due. We really know that. We don't know when God says this is your last day. If you are younger here this morning, can I encourage you to take serious this choice today? You don't know how long you're going to be here. And let me just tell you, as someone by God's grace who chose the path of life when he was eight years old, Looking back at the years, I am so thankful for the scars I did not get because of disobedience. And I'm so grateful for the blessings of a life focused on obedience to Jesus. Now, I know I haven't done that perfect. You know that. But God gave us his holy word as divine boundaries because he loves us and he wants us to flourish. Today, what will you choose? Now, this morning also, you may be about the age of the kid president. I see some of you here this morning, and I'm glad you're here in big church. And you may be thinking, you know, when I'm 12, 16, 18, then I'm going to make choices that matter. (laughs) The path to awesome is then. Let me just share with you the small choices you make every day. What you read, how you treat your parents, your brothers and sisters, how hard you work at school, what you put in front of you on that screen you look at matters right now. God has a plan for your life, not just when you're 18, but now, today. I love this quote. I read it a long time ago, but it says this, sow a thought, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. If you are younger, you have the opportunity today to choose life, to obey God's holy written word, and to flourish as God designed you to flourish. It is not accidental this text emphasizes today is a defining moment in a new generation. It's a defining moment for each one of us here today. So Moses encourages them to choose rightly. Look at verses 19 through 20. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, notice, life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. That you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. 
I don't understand this mystery. But if we enter into this story, we know that God chooses us. And we know we choose him. In this invigorating tension, we live. And the text lives and dwells. And it calls us to responsible choosing and culpability and imperative choice we must make. Isn't it interesting when you look at this section of the text? Moses takes the air of a prosecuting attorney. Attorney. You notice this call heaven and earth as a witness? What on earth is going on there? What's he doing? He's coming to the end of his persuasive attempt. He is calling all of creation and heaven and earth to encourage us, fallen creation, fallen humanity, to choose rightly. Because as we know down in Romans 8, all of creation, fallen creation, is groaning for redemption waiting for us. So he calls all fallen heaven and earth to say, come on, come on, choose rightly. Choose the road to awesome. So the question for us is, we were made for awesome. Which road will we choose? I want to suggest to you two signposts that are on the road to awesome. Very important for us to grasp as we contemplate the fork in the road of our life. First is this, and you might write these down and think about them later. More. First, sign on the road. Here's the road. Number one, big billboard, maybe God size. Embrace the who, then the what. Embrace the who, then the what. Notice verse 20. Do not miss this. Moses brings his big point to a big point. He says, for he is your life and length of days. It's not just following a bunch of rules. It is ultimately about who we choose, not what we choose. Moses' words at the end of Deuteronomy look right to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one who is our life and length of days. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this. He says in Acts 17, 28, he says, in him we live, move, and have our being. The ultimate issue in life is the who, not the what. Some of you have lived around a while, you know the great Abbott and Costello, great skit. Who's on first and what's on second is brilliant theology. Who's first, what's second? Ultimately, life is who we know. The one person who not only gives us life in creation, but restores new creation life and redemption, he is our life, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where Moses is going. Uh, a book I've been reading that has just been amazing. It's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's written by a brilliant woman who was a tenured professor, English professor at Syracuse University. Her name's Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. And she describes her conversion from a Marxist, atheist, sexual identity of lesbianism to her conversion to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story. 
And when you unpack it, she says, it all came down to who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? And she answers it. It means everything. Wholehearted obedience and surrender to his word. She's got it. And she says, the gospel is not just a bunch of good ideas. The gospel is the power of God. It is the most powerful thing on this planet to transform every human heart. Wow. See, the big story found in Holy Scripture flows in this consistent direction from Genesis to Revelation. Don't miss this. This is where Moses is. God's gracious divine rescue then moves to us responding in obedience. Grace always precedes and empowers our response of obedience. Grace rescues us and empowers us to obey Him. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that choosing the right path is first and foremost choosing a person as your Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 6.23, notice the life and death imagery, the path. Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ See, sin is not just an unfortunate mistake. It's not like taking a wrong turn on your way home from work or from school. It's not like getting the wrong answer in your test at school. Sin is a rebellious treason against a holy God. And in Genesis 4, 6, after our fallen to sin, it says sin is like a lion that crouches at the door seeking to destroy us. Sin in your life and my life, if it is left unattended or unforgiven, eats away at us like a terminal cancer that leads to eternal separation from a holy God. Is it any wonder Moses says, please choose life? You know, it's said often that hell is paved with good intentions, right? The road to hell. And while that may be true, it is seldom said that the road to hell has other pavements on it. That is, it can be paved with procrastination, like, I'm going to follow Jesus tomorrow. Or with indecision, like, I'm kind of a cool agnostic. I'm like, I don't know, and whatever, and let life come to me. Or an indifference, like, I don't really care. Robert Abrams, in his book, The Burning of Shanghai, hits it beautifully. He says, some men die by shrapnel, some go down in flames. But most men perish inch by inch in play with little games. Kid president is right. Life is not a game. It's a sacred stewardship. God has set before each one of us this morning a path of life or death. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you on a path of a Christ-filled life or a crisis eternity? This is why Moses is so impassioned at the end of his sermon. He says, choose rightly. 
And it's the who before the what. Second sign on the road is this. Keep a close eye on your heart. Keep a close eye on your heart. This whole text pivots on the heart. This past week, I had a, an annual physical. My annual physical, a doctor probes me and pokes me and does all kinds of crazy things. I'm still trying to recover from it. But he watches my heart, not only because of my family history, but I have an EKG, you know, and he watches all this. He says, let me see your heart. I mean, I don't know how my heart's doing unless somebody tells me. See, I can keep my eye on my heart, but somebody else needs to as well. And that's true of our own heart, our spiritual heart. The prophet Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. All things in the language means everything. And then Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 79, and is desperately sick who can understand it. That's my heart. And that's your heart too. Isn't any wonder Moses says, your heart, your heart, your heart. I think there are two areas of reflection for us around our heart how we find deception lurking there. First is this. When we spiritualize disobedience, it's all too easy to say, well, I feel this is what God wants me to do. No, there are times when God leads through our feelings. But how often our feelings trump what God has specifically and clearly revealed in this book? I hear conversations of, Followers of Jesus say, you know, in my marriage, my emotional needs are not met. I feel God is leading me out of my marriage. Or I'm really too busy right now in my life to pray. Or, you know, when my finances get in better shape, then I will start tithing to my church. See, we are really good at taking subjective feelings and disobeying God's clear word. But not only that, we rationalize our disobedience. Anybody here like, like me? Wow, am I good at that. If I, would, if I was as creative in all of life as how I rationalize my disobedience, I would be something. I can break the speed laws really well when I'm going to the hospital for a pastoral visit. Doesn't feel so bad. See, we convince ourselves because we are single that we need to have our sexual needs met outside of marriage, don't we? Or our work is really demanding right now, so we tell ourselves, well, I'm providing for my family when we are neglecting them. Or we may be thinking about college, you know, I can just get in this competitive college, so I, I'm, I'm going to get in this competitive college, and, and I'm generously borrowing somebody else's essay. And in our culture, so awash with relativism, it's all, it all depends, right? It's all arbitrary. It all depends on your cultural location or your feelings. I hear this often among Christians. So it all just depends. Well, some things depend. Some things do not. God's word is clear on many things. 
See, what we need to do, instead of spin it, instead of justify it, rationalize it, we need to come clean with it. We need to face our disobedience in repentance and humility before a holy God. What does a heart for God look like? Well, it looks like many things, but at the core, biblically, a heart for God is seen in one in, in a person's submission and obedience to the revealed word of God. 1 John 3:24. John says, "Whoever keeps Christ's commandments abides in him." That's it. Obedience and intimacy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote so many brilliant things, Life Together is one of my favorite classics. Martyr German, German pastor said this, it is not our heart that determines our course, but God's word. There are many times they diverge. I think kid president is right. I think he's a pretty smart chap. And I think he's onto something important. When I look at Holy Scripture, I see life is not a game. Your life, my life. And I hear an ongoing antiphonal refrain. Choose the path to awesome. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a moment of reflection and prayer. With your heads bowed this morning, will you ask, wherever you are in your spiritual life, you may be not sure about Christianity, you may say you're a Christian, I don't know where you are, but will you just allow a moment of space for the Spirit of God to speak into where you are? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you embraced Him as your Lord and Savior? in humble repentance? Have you said to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I recognize who you are, what you've done for me on the cross, your resurrection, and I repent of my sin and ask you to transform my life and I want to follow you as your apprentice. Have you had that watershed moment in your life? And may it be this morning. Some of you, I know it's say, Tom, I'm a Christian. I've I've, I've come to Christ. But there are areas of your life, there's an area of your life the Spirit has brought to mind this morning where you know you're disobedient and you've been rationalizing it and justifying it. Will you confess that to Jesus? Will you come clean with Him? Remembering the words of John, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, only you know only you know the deepest complexities of my own fallen heart and everyone here. But Holy Spirit, speak into this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name.